because a lot of the work is intangible. It's hard to see, but you definitely feel it. Folks who are true entrepreneurs look at moments like this, get very introspective and say, all right, this didn't work. I need to go somewhere next. The hard part of letting go of the deal is not actually letting go of the deal. Um, I think it's a critical step to remember that I think sometimes entrepreneurs can get lost on is that until you sign, you have the ability to take a different path. Hey guys, welcome back to the Results Junkies podcast. Paul and I are sitting here trying to figure out which end is up. Um, you know, as we as we look out over the horizon, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of giving away what our first topic is going to be, but I've been I've been teasing Paul for the last handful of weeks. I can't wait to talk more about the acquisition um, when he gets it wrapped up because I think it's been a, a really good storyline for us and I want to hear more about it. Um, and I really didn't consider the other side of the coin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I won't, I won't, we'll, we'll get to that here in just a minute, but, uh, how's your week been? You know, it's been a weird week. Uh, supply chain continues to be a crazy thing. Um, I can't, I can't, I can't shake how different it is than anything else I've ever seen in my lifetime. But I think the other thing I've seen is I saw, I saw a competitor in one of our markets where we own a restaurant increase their wages by almost 50% for starting hourly wage, almost wow. 50%. Literally overnight, they took down a banner that said $12 an hour and put up a banner that said $17 an hour. Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. How about well, you? Well, similar but different. Uh, similar in the sense of supply chain. Uh, different in the sense that uh, I'm in deal-making mode, you know, so just a little bit different. But uh, other than that, I, I sound horrible, but I feel okay. I'm just kind of getting over a cold and well, the, the, the Singh household has got the crud. So it's just sort of, you know, you know how it is. Multiple kids, one of them gets it, and then it's just dominoes. That's just how well, it goes. And you add in this extra layer of now you need to have a stack of Abbott Binax now tests somewhere on a shelf That's somewhere right. in the house for when these things happen, just because you don't want to be like the irresponsible parent who sends their kid to daycare, school, play date, whatever um, with COVID. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, I think, I think we got a, a, a bunch of stuff to talk about today. Uh, let me hand it to you. Where do you want to start? Yeah, I really do want to start with the acquisition stuff. Um, you know, before we dive into that, I'd say, you know, for folks who are listening, wherever you're listening, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you can be the first to get our new episodes as soon as they're available. Um, and shoot us your questions. Show at resultsjunkies.com is the easiest place to find us. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. He is at Paul Singh. I am at Pizza in Motion. But yeah, man, um, <laughs> I, the left, left hand turns abound. Man, I feel like I'm on a reality show and I'm supposed to drag things out so that people stay till after the commercial. But uh, <laughs> yeah, let, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> the acquisition is dead and it sucks. Uh, you know, I, I think that, it, you know, and, and we'll get into the, the, the as many details as I can here. But the bottom line is that. Uh, or, you know, a couple days ago, just realized that uh, when you're getting, th there's a, there's a, there's a fine line somewhere in the sand where you eventually cross over from, Hey, this is just normal negotiation to, is this what the professional relationship's going to be afterwards? Cause that doesn't seem exciting. So yeah, so we pulled the offer and, uh, we're done and I'm back to to square one. And that's okay. That's okay. Like that's, these things all happen for a reason, but it is, it is frustrating. We, you know, we spent probably about eight weeks circling, uh, the, you know, this, this, this target. Um, 
really felt like there was a there there. And, uh, you know, if I'm being very direct with you, I would say that my instinct is, is that the deal wasn't dead, uh, or killed by like sort of the founders negotiation, but rather the inexperience of the advisors he had around him. So I'll stop there and see where you want to go. Yeah. I have so many questions. Um, and let's start with the real basic one because I, I, um, and you sort of intimated this, but just to clarify, you know, you, you said you pulled the offer. Um, did you pull the offer? And I think I know the answer, but did you pull the offer because they gave you an ultimatum, either do this or we're not going to close? Or did you pull the offer because of the way you saw the discussion going? It's the second of those. So, uh, I'm not, I'm not an ultimatum kind of guy. Uh, I don't like being given ultimatums and I don't like giving ultimatums. But in this particular scenario, we got to that point where, you know, uh, last Thursday, I started to get a little bit more firm. And by Saturday, I gave the ultimatum and said, oh, you, you know, Monday evening, this thing's got to be signed. The, the, and, and to be clear, by the way, we're talking about just the LOI here uh, needed to be signed. And the LOI was only binding in terms of exclusivity. So this is where like for people that have done this stuff before, you're probably already like shocked. You're like, what? You guys were negotiating outside of exclusivity, but like we, we knew what we were doing here. I knew what I was doing here. And so, um, yeah. So what we had asked for was like, Hey, look, now that we're getting really serious, now that we've negotiated probably 90% of all the terms, uh, we'd like to have a signed LOI that guarantees exclusivity for just 30 days, just 30 days, not six months, not two weeks, 30 days. That doesn't seem like too long. And the thought was that, Hey, now that we're going to go towards a closing table, let's go ahead and, uh, get that done. And Hey, good faith, good faith. The business terms are not exclusive, uh, or locked at this point. So, you know, you could still change them. So where it started to get a little bit sketchy for me is that by Thursday of last week, where it's sort of, we're still circling around deal terms. It, it's like we were both negotiating two different things. I, I wanted to have some sort of exclusivity in place before the legal fees really skyrocketed for me. For sure. And, and they wanted to keep negotiating business terms prior to the LOI, despite the fact that that section of the LOI was clearly non-binding. And so at some point it raises some red flags, you know, it's like, are, are we getting shopped against? Is there something else we don't know, you know? And, you know, from the, and you know better than I do, but, you know, the investor circuit is small the M&A circuit is relatively small. So yeah. everything I could find uh, through my network seemed to indicate that there was no shopping of the deal. There was no fundraising happening in parallel. I mean, look, I might be wrong. I don't know everybody, but at least the people that I do know, nobody seemed to know anything about it. So, you know, you that's when it like sort of, it's sort of like kind of that little idea got stuck in my head. I'm like, okay, well, if the people I know don't think that he's, selling or, or, or raising money from other people simultaneously. Cause that would be the likely reason he doesn't want to go exclusive. What else could it be? And at that point it was like, well, maybe, maybe I, maybe I misjudged the, you know, the, the, the way they work, you know? And, and the thing we wanted most was the thing that we could diligence the least, which is the team. Right. And we're going to, we'll talk more about this in like sort of one of the other topics later on uh, in the show. But the point is though, is that we pulled the offer because of the second thing you said there, which is that at some point we're like, wait, 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 is this going to be the working relationship after? Cause that's not what we're excited about. 
And no amount of diligence would have found that, uh, you know, prior to the transaction closing. Well, and you bring up what are I would consider to be mostly standard deal terms. Uh, 30-day exclusivity is not a long time um, in the in the grand scheme of things unless they have some sort of financial cliff, um, you know, and then, you know, that's a, a separate issue. But I think the legal fee issue is real when you're talking about, you know, if you're really lucky, maybe you're paying 400 bucks an hour for a lawyer, but you're probably paying, you know, more than 500 an hour for the lawyer. Right. And, and even though, as you said, most of those terms were agreed to, you know, having been through this before, that there's a significant amount of expense that has to go into all the rest of the stuff. That's right. That's exactly right. So, you know, look, I, hey, if you're listening to this and you think I'm being totally unreasonable, then hit me on social or drop me an email and tell me that's okay. I, I can take, I can take the heat, but, uh, I don't think we were asking for anything unreasonable by asking for a 30 day exclusivity clause before we really watched our legal fees, ex, uh, you know, skyrocket. So, um, I don't know, you know, I, it, there's a lot of woulda, coulda, shoulda there, you know, and it's always disappointing because you've spent all this time and, you know, uh, there's, you've lost all that opportunity. There's that opportunity cost of like effort that could have been spent on the business or something else. So there's a lot of regret, but what could you do? I mean, there's no way I could have predicted it. You know, this is just like investing in, 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 in startups, right? Like hell, if we all knew which ones were going to be the big ones first, we all, we wouldn't invest in the other 90%. <laughs> well, and I think it's part of why though, when we talk about these sorts of things with a lot of these deals, obviously they get done with fairly simplistic documents, whether it's uh, safe or kiss doctor, things like that. We sort of kick the can down the road on what we call the important stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, here where we're talking about a merger or an acquisition or any of this stuff, you've got, you know, there are all sorts of, you know, legal things that have to be dealt with that really have nothing to do with the business terms that right. sort of like what you allude to is where you guys were going next. And right. you've got to feel comfortable enough to start committing that money to want to continue the the process past the business terms. And that's, I guess, we kick that can down the road with a lot of startup investments because we're not ready to, to have the discussion on the prenuptial. We're just, we just want to go out a couple dates. That's right. <laughs> I love that you always like bring it back to like some sort of, uh, you know, reference that, that is almost inappropriate, but okay. I love it. That's what I do best. I'm almost I love inappropriate. It. No, I, I love I mean, it. starting with the t-shirts in, in Philadelphia. Oh, don't Which talk we'll never it. see the light of day. About it. Yeah. So, and you, and you talked, you, you touched on something that I think is, is so key in these phrase, in these sort of like acquisition to targets. And I, I want to talk a little bit more about that. I want you to, I want you to dig into the time and energy you invested to get to this point, because you're, I mean, you're obviously leaning in and then all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but, but now you're out and as you say, you've got that time invested, you don't get it back, but like talk a little bit folks about the, about that feeling of you're, you're moving forward and, and starting to build the rest of the pieces around this acquisition and where you can see everything growing. And now you've got to like sort of white sheet it and start over. Well, if I understand the question, I think the, the hard part of letting go of the deal is not actually letting go of the deal. It's just that, you know, we're not, uh, I'm not a, so I'm not running solo here. I, you know, I've got people all around me inside a bump that are, wanting updates that are wanting to know where it's going. You know, you're, you're, you're starting to warm up your finance people. You're starting to warm up the teams that would integrate this person, you know, or this team. Mm-hmm. And, and, and obviously you don't do that on day one. Right. But, you know, like I said, we were eight weeks into this thing. So by the, the last two or three weeks, we had started to warm up other people across the organization, getting ready for 
this. And, you know, the, 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 the blunt thing here is, is that when the deal falls through at the 11th hour, there's, there's a little bit of a morale hit, yes. you know, and, and, and you burn some social capital as well internally, you know, Hey, well, Paul said he was going to close this deal. What happened? So it's, it's tough, you know? Um, so I don't know if I'm answering your question right, but the point is though, is that deals are rarely, uh, done by individuals. Well, exactly right. And as you brief the team, you, as you say, you've now got to, if I'm going to paraphrase here, you know, they're looking to you for some specific level of leadership. And whether that's at a micro level, like, hey, Sally, this is what your new job is going to be when the acquisition comes on board, or the macro level of here's how this is going to turbocharge um, our company for, for growth. The moment that you pull this offer, you now have to turn around and explain to the team why you made this decision in the best interest of the company and how that literally changes their life in a lot of cases tomorrow. Could not agree more. You know, when I, when I talked about it, uh, and, and, you know, shared the news with, uh, so, 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 you know, it stayed within a very relatively small portion of the team, but the point is, is that when we talked about it, it's like, um, you know, I could tell there was one person in particular that was maybe a little bit more disappointed than most, uh, mostly because it really affects what they would be doing over the next 90 days. And it really puts them in a position where they're going to have to be doing some stuff that they are not only not qualified to be doing, but aren't excited to do. Yeah, it's tough. I think the point of all this is, is that like what people don't talk about very often when it comes to these sort of acquisitions is, uh, how much work goes in behind the scenes, how much social capital is burned, you know, internally and externally through the process and, and how much, um, you know, morale can take a hit. Uh, I would, I would be lying to you if I didn't say that I am probably, so on a personal note. I am probably in the worst shape I've been all year in terms of, uh, you know, not working out this quarter and, you know, not, not, not doing all the physical stuff that I'm used to doing. And I think it's just because like these things are so mentally exhausting. So, you know, I mean, hell, I told Dana about it right after, right after we, you know, kind of pulled everything, told Dana about it. And, uh, I was like, you know, in a way, I just kind of feel like a uh, weight's off my shoulders. At least the anxiety of like what the next step is, isn't going to be there anymore. Um, so anyway, you know, I don't want to turn this thing into a therapy session, but the point <laughs> is though, is that I think when you read enough about these like acquisitions, what's conveniently left out is how much work went into it. You know, uh, you know, the case in point or a recent case in point is, you know, the news into it buys MailChimp for $12 billion. Yep. Yeah, we and when you about think that. about yep. that, what's in the yep. story because there's no timeline included in that, it sounds an awful like they met on a Friday and closed on a Monday. Well, and I think to that point, one of the things that you brought up when we talked about this, which I think is exceptional to note, especially as we're talking about the the acquisition that you walked away from, that MailChimp was a completely bootstrapped company. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's got this mindset or they've got this mindset, the folks at the table of, you know, like this is their, A, this is their baby, B, um, it's not like they have a public shareholder base to to answer to, like a you know a Uber or a Facebook or Hertz or any of those folks. But um, you know, it's just you know as you as you say, like you're that that was massive, and you can imagine all the internal discussions they had about potential culture change and all that stuff that that are um, you know that are so directly affecting where you're at right now with yep. you know with how how this potentially affects your company by not you know, yep. moving forward with the acquisition. Yeah, that's right. 
but yeah, anyway, it, it is disappointing. I mean, I, you know, that it, it sucks. Uh, I don't know what else to say. There's probably nothing else professional I can say about it, but I, <laughs> you know, but look, I, I, I don't know if your experience has been the same in your own career, but you know, the thing is when you always look, when you look back on your career, or at least what, I'll just speak for myself and then you can tell me if you agree or disagree. I find that whenever I look back on my career, the things that I was most disappointed about, disappointed about in the moment, when I look back later on, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that actually didn't happen. I, I've certainly had some bites at that apple. I think more importantly, I think when you talk about being in that moment, it's, um, I think that for folks who are entrepreneurs, and I'm going to use that word and not founders, because I think, you know, there's a slight difference here. If you're an entrepreneur and you, you want to sort of be able to move the pieces around on the chessboard, I think a moment like this, and I won't call it a failed acquisition because I think that's the wrong term. It's an, an aborted acquisition. This is a moment of clarity for you about what the next X number of weeks and months will be in your vision for what comes next. And I think that's, as you say, when you look back and you don't regret it, I think a big part of that is, is that folks who are true entrepreneurs look at moments like this, get very introspective and say, all right, this didn't work. I need to go somewhere next. And it's mm -hmm. it's a it's a great catalyst for... Um, you know, I invested all that time and energy to get there and we didn't get anywhere. And holy cow, now I look back and say like, not that you wasted the last eight weeks to be clear, but that the last eight weeks didn't lead to progress with your company because you didn't consummate the acquisition. And so yep. Yep. that look back for you in the past, as you said, where you haven't regretted it, my guess is it's because it's like, all right, well now it's time to figure out what's next. And, um, not to sound overly corny. I have a phrase that I use frequently with my managers and I tell them, you know, like, look, as a manager, you're paid to make decisions. You're not necessarily paid to make right decisions. I mean, you know, yep. you're paid to make decisions. If you make a bad decision, I'm paying you to make the next decision. And that's yep. the real big key. And as an entrepreneur, yep. it's like, hey, like you're in charge of making the next decision. And that's what's, that's what's out there right now for you. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, I, I can't even, I can't even disagree. I totally agree completely. Um, but I, I think the, the, the point of all this though is that I think that, uh, you know, if if somebody out there is going to like create a podcast on sort of anonymous acquisitions and like the real stories behind them, I, I bet you'd get a lot of listeners uh, <laughs> because th there's just so much to it. You're dealing with, um, you know, the truth is I think, I think negotiating the rational part of the deal, like the business terms is actually relatively easy. You either see the value or you don't, you either mm -hmm. agree to the value or you don't, you know, the hard part tends to be the emotional side of it particularly when you're buying uh, companies that are trying to buy companies that are still run by the entrepreneur, you know, the, their, that's their, that's their proverbial baby. And, you yep. know, you're, 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 you're negotiating against that. And that's much harder in my opinion. Yeah. Buying, buying a thing is easy. Buying people is not. And essentially that's what we're, yes. you know, when they're in an acquisition, you're essentially buying people because you're, you're, you're buying, you're buying someone who's specifically passionate about whatever it is they do. And I think if there's, I think the takeaway that I'd, I'd say for our audience here is just listening to, you know, what Paul has gone through in terms of why he made the decision to pull the, the, pull the deal when he pulled it. Um, and I think it's a critical step to remember that I think sometimes entrepreneurs can get lost on is that until you sign, you have the ability to take a different path. You're never so invested that you can't go another direction if you think that if you learn something that says this doesn't feel right. By the way, I feel like I just, uh, like, like it's like the season finale of some show and you're like disappointed with the outcome. And, uh, so I don't want to, I hope that doesn't end on like a bad note. I mean, look, <laughs> I think this is good. I think this is really good. It sort of recharged everybody internally. We're like, you know what? 
like our company has always been fired up with, with challenges. So you give us a challenge and we really get to rally around that. And so the first day when I talked about it, you know, everybody's like, Oh God, that sucks. So bad. (laughs) But you know, we came back in today, um, charging. Okay. Here's the plan. Boom. The engineering team's like, okay, boom, we're doing these things in the new order. The, the, the folks on that side of the team that would have been affected by this are like, okay, here are the recruits. We're going to start poaching from our vendors. We're going to start doing X, Y, and Z. You know, and so now it's like all engines are going, love it. Adversity uh, and constraint tends to be a pretty good way to fire things up. <laughs> well, let's hope you none of your vendors are listening to the show. <laughs> I doubt that. But, you know, some of the industries we are in are so old school, they probably don't even know what a podcast is. I probably get in trouble uh, for saying that, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We like getting in trouble. So... So like um, while we've been having all this acquisition talk, you and I have also had three or four conversations in the past week about North Star. And it just seems like every time I talk to you, it's it's almost like the the billboard in the highway that shows the Mega Millions jackpot, although maybe with not quite as many digits. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's been fun. So a little recap for everybody. North Star is sort of a, 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 a browser extension that um, it's sort of an offshoot of something that I'd been building for myself for the last couple of years where I just wanted to know... Like instead of diving into Google Analytics every time I need to look at something, every time I open a tab in Chrome or every time I open a a tab on my iPhone, I wanted to just have the default screen to show me what the latest numbers were. So we built it. Um, so high level, uh, we launched it about a week ago. Well, not even, not even. I think about five days ago. Um, it crossed a thousand uh, uh, users last night, actually. Which is which awesome. Is pretty cool. No, no paid growth or anything like that. Um, it's free. There's no business model behind it. Um, so yeah, it's been fun. There's a, I'm working on a redesign. Right. But right. But, but right now a thousand entrepreneurs, a thousand entrepreneurs are out there right now, like tracking their statistics. Yes. With it. And, and, and to be clear, by the way, like all the data is private. It stays on your side of the, the machine. It doesn't, there's no central server or anything like that. But, but, you know, because of like, usage and stuff we do track like how many times you look at it how many how long you look at it but but we don't see the underlying data google is very clear about that in the security requirements but the point the point is though is that it's really fascinating to see how often people use it the version that's going to come out next week uh is going to include uh some of that 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 aggregated data in the footer so you'll be able to see how many other people are you know simultaneously looking at uh, you know, their stats, uh, which is really neat. You know, I'm looking at the data right now while we're recording this thing, 1300 people, 1,296 people are looking at their data right now. I just wish I had, I, I wish I had something in front of me that I could use it for. Cause I like, I, I want to be able to open up my tabs and see numbers grow. You okay. So that's interesting. Numbers. I'll give you a little sneak peek. So, um, on the, the, not this next version, but probably the version right after that. So we're probably talking about two to three weeks from now. Um, when you go through the setup flow, you will get to choose whether what your North Star is. So right now it's built for mostly e-commerce companies because that's what I used it for. Yep. Uh, but uh, in that second version from now, when you do the when you sign in or when you set it up and on your browser, uh, you'll be able to you'll be presented with like three blocks and it'll say what is your North Star and it's gonna be you can choose with traffic transactions or both. So in your case, like you don't have an e-commerce site, so yeah, traffic. Yeah, but yeah. you would just hit the traffic button, yeah, I can connect it to GA, and right. it'll just show you all that. Right. You won't see any of the other stuff. But you got to promise me you're not going to look at my numbers. 
I can't see them. Yeah, right. They're, they don't, there's no central server. <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing. There, yeah, I mean, like, the, 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 the tech people listening to this can verify it, right? So just go grab the extension, check the, uh, you know, check the, uh, what do you call it? Check the network connections. You'll see. There's nothing coming to us. Uh, it's all stored right there on your browser. It's deleted as soon as you delete the extension. Uh, all I see, honestly, is really just, are you looking at it or not? That's it. It's almost so. like you're begging me to to segue us to the Facebook and Apple discussion. But Let's before, roll. I love but before it. Before yeah, we man. roll it, we'll, we'll, I just want to, I want to pimp this for just a second. Um, you know, it's on the Google App Store, right? Um, so how do they find it? They look Google North Star on the Google App Store? Yeah, there's two ways to do it. You can, um, you can either go to the Chrome store and look up uh, North Star uh, or you can go to my website, just go to resultsjunkies.com. And on the left side menu, you'll see a North Star uh, link there. Uh, as of the time we're recording this, uh, it only works on Chrome. Uh, I think that within the next two to three weeks, it'll get approved by Apple, I hope. And you'll be able to uh, put it onto Safari and iOS and you'll be able to use it on your phone. You know, like uh, you on the go, Ed, you know, you're you're switching through your browser tabs on your on your phone and you just, you can see what the stat, the traffic looks like. All right. So we were all set to, tra to transition. And then you said something that now I have a follow-up question. Um, oh, it, normally when I hear about this stuff, and especially when you talk about podcasts and all the beta softwares I've seen used, normally what I've seen folks do is they start with Chrome as their first browser that they tackle. And then the next one is Firefox. And the final one is Safari, if they ever get there, because I've heard a lot of horror stories about working with that. Why'd you choose to go uh, Chrome, then Safari, and skip over Firefox? Uh, mostly because of the browser data that I see in Google Analytics. Okay. So when I look at the traffic on my site and all of our e-commerce sites, it basically just came down to like what I see. So for example, when I look, and, and again, I, I'm just a microcosm. I'm just one, you know, one data point, right? But mm -hmm. I had to start somewhere. And when I looked at the data for my website, I'm like, oh, uh, it's like majority Chrome and then it's iOS mobile. Okay. Well, that's it. Okay. I'll go that way. Uh, but you know, what's interesting is like when I look at the e-commerce side for our consumer businesses, mm. it's the exact opposite, actually. You know, the vast majority of e-commerce traffic for us is, uh, Safari mobile. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, also it's kind of anecdotal, like, you know, if I look at you, and if I, if I looked over your shoulder and, you know, your desktop, I'm guessing you probably use Chrome or Firefox on your desktop. And I'm guessing, tell me if I'm wrong, that you probably use the native browser, the native Safari browser on your iPhone, right? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I'm, I'm probably a bit of a unique person. I was a, I was a Safari browser person constantly on my mobile device um, for the 10 plus years I've had an iPhone. With the most recent version, I had a couple of things that got a little bit buggy and I've actually started to change some of the defaults, but mostly through Google Mail. Um, but other than stuff that comes in through Gmail on iOS default and everything, so I'm probably 80% yeah. Safari yeah. and 20%, like any of the Gmail stuff that was barfing when it moved over to Safari, I started just changing the default. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, but but we'll see it where it goes. You yeah. know, I think, look, here's the thing. I'm, this isn't a business. It's really just designed to be, I'm just making the thing that I need. Yeah, no, I think it's a great, and if other people great, use thought it, experiment. I love watching it. Yeah. If other people use it, great. If they don't, that's okay. Cause I'm getting so much value out of it and learning how to like learning another, you know, framework. Pretty cool. So yeah. I'm having, I'm having fun with it. Cool. Okay. So let's transition over to, um, 
uh, uh, high high level for folks, you know, about six months ago, Apple made some decisions with their software to to increase the the privacy constraints on the typical iPhone that ships. So essentially, you know, the the most apps were able to track your actions across most platforms. And I'm trying to use generalities because there's I know there's people out there who are like, well, Ed, there's one that doesn't, and like no question there are exceptions, but on whole, like if you're on if you're on you know, Twitter on your phone, I don't know this to be true, but I'm, I'm 95% sure it's true. Like if you're on Twitter on your phone or if you're on iOS on your phone, you're searching something, you know, like the Facebook app can see some of that activity. They can't see that, you know, pulsing is doing it or MP3 is doing it, but they can see user, anonymized user 23675 um, is using, you know, searching iOS for, you know, neck pillows. And then all of a sudden on Facebook, you start getting targeted for neck pillows in the ads. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. the, the, uh, F- Facebook came out recently, announced their earnings, and they actually like they they announced that the part of the reason why their earnings were soft was because of these app, new Apple privacy rules. And you know that 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 sort of caught me, and I, like I understood, like I knew it was a big deal, and like as you know, Paul, it's it's a big deal for a lot of the companies that we're associated with. Um, and I think like you you brought up an interesting point, and I had one too in terms of how this hit us. And I think for me, what it hit me is like setting aside like the the bigness of Facebook and Apple and what they represent in the world. If you're out there and you have an iPhone, you know what I'm talking about. But if you don't know, essentially what happens now is anytime you like sort of like download a new app on your iPhone, you get this message. And it says, you know, something along the lines, like there's a bunch of like small text, which I'm sure like me, almost nobody ever reads the whole thing. It's like, you know, your information is going to be used for services and personalized marketing and advertising and, you know, you know, only be used for X, Y, Z. And then you have to select a choice. And there's two choices. The first choice says, ask this app not to track you. Or I think it's like the actual language is like, ask app not to track. And it almost seems like that's almost like a little bit bolder in text. Maybe it's just my own impression. And then the next line is like, no, let, let it do these things. So like, allow it. So, you know, my guess is that, again, in terms of how they're framing the question, the first thing they're saying is like, hey, do you want to ask this app not to track wherever you go? And it's like, well, yeah, I don't want them following me. So everybody just, you know, is hitting that button saying, yeah, don't do that. And they're changing this whole ecosystem of people that use that to help acquire customers. And all these companies that are out there, we talk about CAC all the time, customer acquisition cost. They're, as you said earlier, the CAC has gone way up because we now have to figure out a different way to find out who really wants to buy that neck pillow. And it's like, I wonder how different it would be if Apple flipped the choices around. The first choice was, yep, no problem. Let them, allow them. And the second choice was, ask this app not to track me. Well, okay. So I, you know, I always have thoughts, but let's ask the, ask the question though. So that way I talk about the right thing. Yeah. Okay. So I guess the, the first question is, and then we, I want to get to your part of this too. First question is, is like, do you think the results would be different if the first choice was allow people to track this on your phone, if people like if the if the the first choice of the question was yes, I want to opt in as opposed to no, I want to opt out. Yes, a hundred percent. I mean, th- this is like a known thing, yep. right? I mean, like if you're going to write a survey to somebody, I mean, I don't know the stats behind it, but but like half the answer is really just depending on how you ask the question. Yep. It, it's kind of like, and this is a bad example, but it's kind of like. If you ask your kid if they had a good day versus asking them to tell you about their day, the first one is really setting you up for a yes, no. And the second one at least starts the conversation. Yeah. 
But, you know, I think the other side of this, so one of the things I've noticed, and I, I, I don't know if you've, like how, you know, again, our, you know, our portfolios and our theories are slightly different, but I'm, I'm curious if you're, you could, um, if you're seeing something similar. W- what I'm seeing in our portfolio right now is that uh, for, for companies that are spending money on paid, which frankly is almost all of them, um, CAC has doubled. Since April, when that rolled out, between the April and now, it's effectively doubled. Now, yeah, some of them have like, it's not quite doubled. Maybe it's like 1.2x or whatever. And others, it's like 5x more. Right. But the fact is, is like, it's gotten more expensive to do paid advertising. Um, and look, I think the writing's on the wall. I mean, I, you know, it's only a matter of time, I think, before Google does the same thing. Yeah, I, I wonder how they'll do it. Like, I think that's a part of this whole discussion is I wonder what comes next. Because as you say, the, 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 the way that the way that all of our portfolio companies are acquiring customers is changing fundamentally. And there's this, I wouldn't say there's this push towards privacy. I think it's more like nobody ever bothered to ask the consumer before in this way. And, you know, now when, when asked the question, the consumer is saying, well, heck no, I don't want someone tracking me. Um, That's right. And so you say, when, when you talk about that in terms of a customer acquisition cost, I think it's all about... Uh, like you said about the, the the two questions, do you ask your kid to tell you about their day or do you ask them how their day was? It's it's knowing your audience and knowing how to ask the question. And so here what we're asking a lot of these portfolio companies to do is to ask the question without knowing their audience anymore. They they you know, they yeah. they can't target the they can't target it. You don't know as 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 bump health whether you're talking to a mom or you're talking to me. And I'm gonna care a whole lot less about, you know, diaper rash cream than than a mom is. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think that uh, one of the underlying lessons in this whole discussion, though, is is that the, the 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 importance of copywriting and learning how to, you know, wherever you sit, whether you're writing an email to a prospective client or you're job hunting or you know you're writing a sales page, the the, the copywriting matters, and and you know, it's like make it so hard for them to say no. Like, like, like that's the thing. It's anyway, I, I don't know if this is where you want to go with it. Yeah. I think it's a really good point because if you think about how people pick the stuff up now, it's retargeting. You might see the same ad 10, 15, 20 times. You bring up a really good point. You may have to grab them the first time they see it. That's right. Well, you have to, I mean, look, we've all said, we've said this before, you know, we're, we're all fighting a war for attention now. Uh, you know, you know, there's, there's no, you know, it's like, like you and I, you know, at our age, we're, we're like digitally savvy, but we're not, we're not digitally native. Like a lot of the people that might be listening to this thing, you know, we lived before computers and all that. Right. And here's the thing back then, if you scheduled a 30 minute meeting with somebody, you you pretty much got 30 minutes because there wasn't a cell phone in your pocket dinging and you weren't working from home thinking about what the kids are doing upstairs, Mm -hmm. you know? we're in this brave new world in 2021 and there is no 30 minute meeting and we might be scheduled for 30 minutes, but, uh, you know, you got to give value. I, you know, I, I, uh, this brings me back to a, a thought from a couple of years ago. I, when I first started doing, um, public speaking, pr- probably like 15 years ago now, I, I distinctly remember one day, uh, giving this talk and, and, um, it, it was obviously in the venture community cause that's what I was doing at the time. And, and, um, I was so nervous, just like anybody doing their first, you know, talk. And it was in hindsight, it was awful. I don't even know why people listened. But the point is, I got off the stage and I walked over to a buddy of mine and I was like, hey, what'd you think? And he he just he didn't even like stop to like be nice to me. He just goes, That was awful. That was like the worst. <laughs> and and I was like, uh, 
okay, what? What? And, and he goes, look, Paul, y- you went up there and you just kind of talked and you never really forced anybody to think. And I said, what do you mean? He said, look, what do you think the difference is between love and hate? And I was like, I, I don't, this is not the conversation I thought I was going to have. I said, I, I don't know. And he goes, look, the difference between love and hate is indifference. And if you don't just get up there and you tell them what you think and force them to choose whether they love it or they hate it, what ends up happening is they, they leave indifferent. They check their email. They, uh, you know, they, you don't deserve their attention. And anyway, uh, that, that really stuck with me. And now, hmm. you know, I don't pretend to be right. But I do intend, I do, do like try to make an effort to just say what I need to say because we're either going to like, you're either going to totally hate it and debate me on it. And that that's going to lead both of us probably to a better place, or you're going to totally love it. And now we don't have to have all that other fluff, uh, kind of conversation. We just kind of keep going. Um, which actually brings me to one other point that's not on the list today, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Uh, Hey, you know, if you're ever in a, whether it's at work or at home or whatever, if you ever find yourselves agreeing too much, whether it's with your boss, your direct reports, your spouse, whatever. If you find yourself uh, agreeing too much, like I would say more than 90% of the time, I would bet you that one of you is either not being candid or one of you is not putting enough critical thought into whatever it is you're discussing. But too much agreement is a bad thing, is my point. Boy, at this moment, I am really glad I know that my wife doesn't listen to the podcast, and I'm hoping that Dana doesn't either. <laughs> well, that's a bad, that's a that's a problem actually. But okay, that's a different that's a that's a different episode. <laughs> that's a whole other show. Yeah, you know, Paul. I mean, you were talking about this. Well, you were tweeting about this a couple weeks ago, um, and I don't remember the exact context of the tweet, but it was something along the lines of you know, ninety percent of the work is in building a relationship, ninety percent is in the details, ninety percent of the upside is in the future. Um, you know, act accordingly. Um, and I, I, I sort of, I sort of chuckled when I saw that. Well, so yeah. So I tweeted earlier in the month about, you know, you know, it, the context was about negotiations, but I think it's, I think the idea is applicable to a lot of other things, you know, like a lot of the topics we talk about. Right. So what I, what I said was that in most successful negotiations, 90% of the work is in building the relationship. of the time spent is in the details. 90% of the stress is in the final days. And 90% of the upside for both sides is in the future. And you should act accordingly. Yeah, so I I wrote it in the context of, you know, business and, you know, acquisitions and and, and negotiating with vendors and stuff like that. But, you know, it it is applicable to a lot of things. You know, uh, your your personal relationships, your... uh, you know, your, 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 your careers, you know, that sort of thing. I think a lot of it, a lot of people kind of approach a lot of these things as like a zero sum thing. I win, you lose, you know, that sort of thing. But, but this is kind of connected to that last topic we just talked about this idea that, you know, if you find yourself agreeing too much, you're probably, something's probably wrong actually. But also like in the context of build versus buy and acquisitions and, you know, that sort of thing, I think it's important to like, this is this this tweet really is uh, sort of a reflection of the reality of why it's so emotionally stressful, because <laughs> a lot of the work um, is intangible. It's hard to see, but you definitely feel it. Yeah, you definitely feel it. You absolutely do. And I think you know when you think about when you think about that, your comment about it being a zero sum game is so true. I think so many people go into this feeling like you're supposed to 
you're supposed to move the needle in one direction or another, when in reality, a big part of these discussions is to try to find a way to get to a place that's better for both. Yeah. I mean, like, so again, I hesitate because there's so many different ways we could take this part of the conversation, but, but I think that this is a half-baked thought, but I think that, you know, so much of your success, whether it's, you know, uh, on the deal-making side, the careers, whatever it is, so much of it is about just being likable too. I mean, you know, when I talk about this idea of 90% of the, the time spent is in building the relationship, well, that's, that's kind of how you make luck in business is, is you sort of have to build the relationships. And when I talk about 90% of the stress being in the final days, well, you know, any deal, like even if you're like buying a house personally, right? That, that stress of like, man, I just put in the offer. Is it going to get accepted or not? All that stress is right there at the end, right before the seller makes a decision, you know, and 90% of the upsides in the future. Well, hey, look, if you've picked a partner that you want to, you know, you guys decide you want to be a spouse, like 90% of your your happiness in the future is or is in the gonna be in the future, you know. And so the 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 I I wrote this tweet uh out of sheer frustration because of some stuff I was working on. <laughs> but the idea does apply to a lot of other things. Well, and, and you use the word likable. I think I'd i for me, I'd use the word relatable. And that I think, um, you know, you, you have to find a way and you're right about relationships. You better like the person you're with if it's, if you're talking about getting married. Um, but in business, I would say I, I try very hard to be relatable and to go to where someone is to have the conversation. I mean, physically, but, but you, you have to, you have to be able to connect, um, and be relatable and, and, and be able to, to, to move the the ball in in that way, I wouldn't say that. I would say there are a lot of people that don't like like me, but uh, but I would hope find me relatable in a way that um, that that allows them to respect what I'm trying to offer. I mean, you know, to be really candid, I I kind of wish I could be a fly on the wall when you're negotiating with someone because like a lot of the stuff I've been doing, I feel like I've learned from you watching you. Uh, talk to Yell other at people into my cell phone. <laughs> well, you know, but the thing, well, I know you're joking because it's, the truth is I never, I rarely hear you say that or do that. I, I don't think you don't, if you had a temper in the past, you certainly don't now. Uh, you know, I think you're at least listening, you know, having listened to one side of those phone calls when we have traveled together and stuff like that. I, what I, uh, I hear clear expectations and, um, you know, uh, um, you know, you're understanding yet very firm about what your expectations are. I So the point is, though, is that like, you know, I think at some point it might be fun, uh, maybe on one of future episodes on sort of negotiation tactics, because, you know, I imagine what I went through with this whole sort of, you know, this is this whole acquisition dance that I'm going to keep doing or whatever, like you've been doing it for way longer than I have. And you're doing it with, with brick and mortars and, you know, restaurants and dry cleaners and uh, stuff where I think, People are probably even more attached to their business. Let, let me just say, I hope I never buy or sell a dry cleaner again. I let's just let me just throw that marker down there if I haven't said already. I'm really hoping that we're done with that industry. Well, there you go. I like that. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, the point the point of it is though is that uh, so much is about being relatable and likable, and you know, but but isn't that true of most things? You know, it's like you know the proverbial honeymoon period. You've got to like really invest in the relationship early on so that you know the inevitable tough spots become easier to deal with. 
Well, again, I take it further. We didn't talk about this in the beginning when we talked about the acquisition, but I think a big part of why you want to be relatable quickly is because um, everybody has a mask that they wear. We all have this mask that we bring to, to every party, to every acquisition talk, to every fundraising conversation. And, you know, sometimes the mask is translucent and sometimes it's not. Um, and I think the more relatable you can be, the quicker you can get the other person to take down their mask. Mm -hmm. And then you get a chance to see, you know, what's behind that mask. Is it, you know, is it a unicorn or is it a dragon? It's got a horn. Um, you're just not sure, you know, which one it is. Um, and I, I think, I think that's the, the key is that we all put on masks because we have a, a way that we're supposed to be something that sort of, sort of looks like our indeed, pub, you know, our Indeed page or our Facebook page or something like that. And then there's the real person, like Paul yep. said, about how I am on the phone with the people that I have negotiations with. And are are those two the same thing? I don't know. I think I tend to think I'm pretty transparent. Uh, I don't I don't generally tend to be that different. I used to be a yeller and a screamer, but I think I, I meet a lot of people who act a certain way. And then later on, when the mask comes down, you're like, oh, that's different. And sometimes it's great. And sometimes it's the train wreck. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. But... Anyway, I, back, I, like the bottom line is with that tweet, I mean, apply it wherever you want, but I do think it's applicable. Or I guess maybe the other yeah. way to say it is, ignore it at your own peril. <laughs> I, that's usually my, met, my, my methodology with you. I ignore and then I find out what the peril was. Right, there you go, there you go. <laughs> well, I think that's a full wrap, man. I think, we're, I think we'll park the stuff, that we, the other stuff we've got in the list for, for next week and continue our trend of, of never getting through our full list of stuff. But um, that means we're know, doing I, it right. I have... Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't have a plan to get on a plane in the next week. Same. Well, I, actually, that's a lie. I'm supposed to, I'm, I think I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to go to New York for a day for a, uh, for a, uh, a work thing, but how about you? Uh, no travel yet. Um, probably in about two or three weeks, Dane and I are going to go off to on a vacation for a couple of days without the kids and sort of stare at a beach, I think. So yeah. Yeah. Let's just hope no borders close or anything like that. Oh, there's a reasonable chance of that. <laughs> you never oh, know. Well, terrifying. I wouldn't say the borders are closed, but then we just did an international trip. Um, I was lucky enough to be invited to private Island. If you can believe that somebody actually thought nicely enough of me to do that. Um, I had to get COVID tested five times over the course of call it, you know, 72 hours. Oh, um, and so, and like, you know, I, I had to upload forms, different places and all that stuff. And I was uploading the wrong, like what looked like the right form, but turned out to be the wrong form and their automatic scanner couldn't read it. And it just, it's, I don't think the, I don't think the borders are going to close. Yeah. There's just all this like gooey stickiness that just makes it hard to do. It's, it's, there's lots of friction. Oh, yep. 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 There's a, there's this old, old, old the TV show that I talk about of like, you know, and I hate being, sound like the old man, but like, you know, there's West Wing TV show where one of like political consultants is talking about like, he's leaning out over the bow of the boat to scrape the kelp off that's slowing them down. And then he falls out of the boat. And it's like, you know, like you're trying to do all these things to make this great trip for you and Dana. Yep. And then like, you forget the one form or the one test that you need. Yep. So read all the instructions twice. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, until next time. Until next time. Thanks for tuning in guys. 